Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 327th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. Broadcasting in this eighth year across the world from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, the entertainment capital of the world. It's been a huge week. Trump's State of the Union address starts straight after this program. Then was a big night for the Australian Theatre Company tonight. We're going straight from when the show finishes to the ATC event. The Grammys were last Sunday, of course, and next Sunday, the biggie, the Super Bowl. Go Patriots! Yesterday, in the middle of winter in Los Angeles, it was 86 degrees, which is, I don't know, about um, 28, 29 or something, if you're a centigrade person, and we had our air conditioning on. Middle of winter, air conditioning on. This has got to be the best climate in the world. As we know... There is a very rapid increase in the adoption of robots, machine learning, and artificial intelligence in the workplace. And unfortunately, workplace automation will hit women much harder than men. Women always seem to be the losers in all of these sorts of things. Almost 60% of all, 60% of all jobs at risk of being replaced by technology are held by women. 60%. Automation is going to further widen the divide between men and women in the workplace and more women than men are at risk of seeing their jobs displaced. And this is according to a new report from the World Economic Forum. This report was released at Davos and uh, analysed nearly a thousand different jobs across the UX economy and its conclusions are very bleak. A predicted 1.4 million US jobs are at risk from technology, and 57% of them are currently performed by women. So it's even more bad news for women who are already dealing with a growing gender gap and facing a 217-year wait to have the same job and wage opportunities as men. This has really gone on way too long. It's, um, it's high time that we have um, equal job and wage opportunities. The, the figures aren't as bleak, of, of course, as they, as they appear on the surface, but um, they're still not equal yet. We're getting there, but it'll take a while. Now, the narrative tends to focus on male blue-collar factory workers, but there are also a large number of very female-dominated roles like secretaries and administrative assistants and um, um, cashiers and people like that that are facing displacement. Nearly 164,000 female secretaries are at risk, according to the report, compared with 90,000 at-risk male assembly workers. Now, automation is not just some distant prospect. It's already happening, and not just on factory lines and in a militant administrative roles. Robots are expanding into the service sector too. They're already running hotels and delivering takeout. Amazon has Amazon Go, which is a cashier-less grocery store that uses apps and high-tech sensors to track shoppers and their purchases. And this is going to expand. Um, Amazon, as you probably know or may not know, bought a very large chain of um, supermarkets called Whole Foods in America and you can bet that the first thing to go or among the first things to go will be cashiers. And retail salespeople and cashiers are the two most common jobs in America. They employ 7.8 million people and 74% of them are female and those jobs are definitely going to go. So reskilling is the answer to these tectonic shifts. 
you know, learning new skills will increase workers' chances of re-employment. They'll likely lead to wage increases and improve their social mobility prospects. If we took a very deliberate approach to reskilling in which we tried to ensure some of these gender gaps were closed, we're actually sitting on a fantastic opportunity where we can actually accelerate gender parity. And surely it's high time to do that. But I think that um, it is highly unlikely in the Trump State of the Union address tonight that he will get round to talking about how he's going to improve the lot of winners. You know, it's very difficult to praise yourself 300 times in an hour and a half and still have time to talk about anything practical. <laughs> now, while the study focused on the US economy, a similar story is unfolding across the world. In Cambodia, for example, as many as 88% of garment workers, 88%, and 81% of them are women. So that's what, about 72 or 73% of garment workers, female garment workers, face displacement through automation. And many of these female workers come from rural areas and they're the sole breadwinners for their families. That is going to cause enormous disruption in a lot of the Asian countries in particular and also the African countries. And the study showed that technology would impact vulnerable groups of society the most. People like low-skilled women, low-skilled men, youth, the less educated. You know, education is vital and it's key. It's absolutely key that people are aware that we've entered a time where continuous education, lifelong education, is not just political lip service. It's a requirement for people to simply earn a living. You know, in my day, you'd leave, you'd leave, you'd leave college, you'd get a job, and that would be the end of your learning. You'd gain experience, but you wouldn't learn really learn new skills. But today, when you leave college, that's just the start. You have to continuously learn skills. So it's going to be it's going to be a requirement simply for people to earn a living. I know it sounds bleak, but that's the way it is. Have you gotten into crypto yet? Cryptocurrency everywhere you go. That's all people talk about. Um, we had a big party at the house on Sunday. We had about 100 and something people here. And uh, everybody was talking about crypto. So if you're not into crypto, you should act now. You know, a number of people that are good friends of mine that are really smart and really know what's going on say, yeah, they're nervous. They don't know enough about it yet. And they're concerned that it's going to be a flash in the pan or that it's all going to collapse and go away or something. Well, I assure you, it's not. You know, it's, it's an incredible way of doing business. Blockchain is replacing the normal ways of recording information in banks, in stock exchanges, in insurance companies, in real estate, in land offices, in all sorts of things are now using blockchain. And so anything related to blockchain is going to be a good investment. Now, I am very confident that we're going to have a fantastic year for cryptocurrency in 2018. And I know people say, oh, I should have got in five years ago and I, I didn't. It must probably be too late. Well, it's not. It's certainly not too late. Bitcoin today is 10 grand. And, you know, this is the absolute perfect time to get in. And I'm sure that if you get in now, you'll more than double your money in the next couple of months. So have a look at cryptocurrency. If you don't, um, if you don't understand it and you'd like to know more about it, drop me an email. You know, just drop me an email to bob at bobpritchard.com and, uh, you know, we'll we'll try to walk you through it. We um, we've got quite a lot of experience in it. We've got a good portfolio. We've done very well. And um, my wife's waving to to me, so she's all she's either 
disagreeing with what I said or she's um, drowning. So do you get my 30-second read business newsletter? You know, we've now got about 1.7 million daily subscribers and it takes just 30 seconds to read it. Well, I must admit today's was a bit longer. It was about a minute. And every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop. We talk about autonomous cars. We talk about blockchain. We talk about pretty much everything, uh, trends in employment, trends in retail, trends in manufacturing. Um, you know, we talk about all those things. It's free information. And the information's really invaluable. I mean, in, in the course of a year, you can learn about 200 different subjects and, you know, you don't know everything about it, but you've got a good background in about 200 different subjects, which is invaluable in business, invaluable in talking to your friends, to in talk, talking to your workmates and impressing people on in the fact that you're keeping up to date with what's going on, what's going on. And uh, we get a great response and the number of companies that enrol all their senior staff or send the emails in which they're interested around to all their senior staff is fantastic. So um, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and if you don't get the newsletter, go to my website, bob at bob Pritchard. Oh, sorry, my website is bobpritchard.com. My email is bob at bobpritchard.com and you can enrol or ask me questions or whatever, but um, you really should get it totally free and we do not give your the mailing list out to anyone. So what's the greatest challenge that you think is facing mankind? I mean, some of you probably say North Korea. Others would say climate change. There was a bit of a panic last week when people thought that a meteor was going to strike Earth. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. But um, I really think that the biggest problem facing us is fake news. And I think fake news could actually destroy us. And this should really scare the hell out of you. You know, the leading internet companies have faced a wave of criticism sparked by revelations that they, they unwittingly enabled the spread of Russian disinformation that distorted the 2016 election. And recently, Facebook Zuckerberg announced that Facebook is revamping its flagship news feed service. The algorithm will now prioritise content shared by your friends and family over news stories and viral videos. It'll survey users and potentially relegate untrusted outlets. Of course, if they're going to um, take out regular news stories, we're going to end up with a population that's as dumb as a stick. So that's a bit of a concern. And if we're going to allow fake news to dominate the media... Uh, <laughs> you're going to be in even more trouble. And one of the problems is that the um, federal government in the United States doesn't seem to be doing anything at all about discouraging fake news from the Russians or from anywhere else for that matter. So the Facebook move is nowhere near enough. The purveyors of disinformation, they'll just change their approach to spreading fake news over social media. They'll just change the way they do it. That's nothing new. Disinformation propagators have long monitored subtle tweaks of both news feed and search engine optimization algorithms, and that's the way that they maximize their page views. They master these changes to channel targeted propaganda and misinformation to individual voters and they're sure to do it in this year's U.S. midterm elections. You know, their power lies in the implicit alignment of interests between the likes of Facebook and Google and their advertisers. So these sites sustain themselves by finding like-minded groups of people and then they sell information about their behaviour. 
and the disinformation propagators sustain themselves by manipulating the behaviour of all these people that are like-minded. So until this system is restructured, political disinformation operations won't be stopped. They won't even be slowed. I think we're in 2018 for a lot more fake news, if you want to call it that, than we had in 2016. And, you know, rebuilding the whole structure would be enormously difficult since digital advertising is absolutely central to internet commerce. But change is now critical. New disinformation campaigns will not be limited to Facebook, Google and Twitter. They will use the tools of successful digital advertisers across every available distribution channel. As such, a serious effort to undercut these operations must address the entire market. Disinformation campaigns rely on data analytics, on behavioural data tracking, the widespread practice of logging your personal web browsing habits, location data, purchasing patterns and heaps and heaps more. Since I began this segment, your information's probably been shared with dozens of new firms online in just the last two minutes. You know, your data is associated with your personal identifiers, your email address, your phone number. It's then connected to all the other other information that you've got or put up on the web. And insights and inferences drawn from your behavioural data, it's sold or shared by large internet platform companies. It's shared by digital advertising firms. Data brokers share it. Online services share it. And it goes everywhere, including to the disinformation operators. But the scale of content is simply too large and the vast majority of disinformation would not be taken down anyway because it is perfectly legal, despite poisoning to our politics. It's legal. First Amendment. Say what you like about anybody, whether it's true or not. Now, the relationship between media and democracy is in crisis. Democracies function poorly if the citizens are ill-informed and cannot participate in self-government. Nothing less than the national political integrity is at stake. And America's corporate and public sectors must come together to rebuild the internet as we know it in order to bring an end to the scourge of disinformation. <clears throat> now, it's interesting, um, Vladimir Putin... He's up for re-election shortly and uh, the Russian media asked him if he thought he could win another presidential campaign and he said, um, yeah, I think I can hack it. He's got to tell you something. Now, today's guest is David Young and David's the chief executive officer at Kodak Winning Photos, which is a Seattle-based global company with a robust trajectory that provides a place for photographers to grow and mentor other up-and-coming photographers. It's a great company. He, um, he developed a number of cloud patents and sold a technology company co-founded during the tech bubble. So I'll be back with David Young after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show coming to you from Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob 
at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last five and a half years or so, we've given you insights into the lives of somewhere around 350 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do, we've talked about the challenges they faced, and we've tried to find out what deep down makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business, and we all need to receive all the advice and assistance from mentors and the entrepreneurs that have gone before us in order to maximize our chances of success. You know, 96% of all new businesses fail. So only four in a hundred succeed. And so we don't need to make mistakes that other people have overcome. So the aim of this segment is to assist you to become highly successful by listening to the trials and tribulations and the successes of people who have gone before you. Now, David Young is the Chief Executive Officer at Kodak Winning Photos, a Seattle-based global company with a robust trajectory, and it provides a place for photographers to grow and mentor other up-and-coming photographers. David started out as an analyst on Wall Street, although I've got to say that today he doesn't exactly look like it. But he was an analyst on Wall Street before joining the Treasury Group at a Fortune 500 company with the goal of bringing mobile data to the US. David's also developed a number of cloud patents and sold a technology company co-founded during the tech bubble. So he's rich. David, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And you're being heard all around the world. Well, thank you. And thanks for the compliment that I don't look like a Wall Street analyst. I, I do. I do appreciate that. Um, I, I probably uh, I look like someone who may have eaten a Wall Street analyst <laughs> at, at one point in my life. But thank you very much. Uh, I don't think anybody really wants to look like a Wall Street analyst, do they? Oh, gosh, you know, I've been lying to my parents about that for for years, you know, right? I mean, you don't want to tell anyone that, that you did that at one point in your life. And, uh, talk about businesses that are undergoing tremendous change. I, I think that, that that industry and that segment in particular, especially with the technology today, the artificial intelligence that's growing in its robustness, yeah. Yeah. that industry, it, they once thought that they would be immune to a lot of this stuff. And man, they're going to they're gonna find out real quick that uh, technology will actually replace Wall Street jobs. Well, not only Wall, Wall Street jobs, but I've been saying for a long time that banks, the traditional bank is fucked and they deserve to be. Yeah, you know, there's no place for banks and and their ripoff tactics in this world today. The um, um, the technology, the new young technology companies that are springing up all around the world will just eat their lunch <laughs> because banks banks are not going to get the deposits because there's other places to put your money that's much easier and therefore they're not going to be able to make the loans and you take the loans out and you know most of them are going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. I, I I would agree with that very much. So, why do you introduce yourself as a chief Swiss army knife? Oh, what's that about? Is, is that a form of intimidation? You look pretty no, intimidating. No, no, good heavens! I, I, I use it. I, I like. I'm a visual person. I right. like, in spite of my appearance, I'm a visual person uh, when it comes to learning and trying to explain things. And what I tell people when they start asking about winning photos and and what we do and and what we're all about. You know, they want to know about your people. They want to know how many you've got in tech and social and sales. And then they also want to know, gosh, are you leveraging some outside, you know, PR agencies, outside legal, maybe you offshore and onshore some of your tech development. And then Dave, what do you do as the CEO? And I just say, look, I I do all this stuff. I'm a chief Swiss army knife. I, I wear a number of different hats. Uh, many of us do that, especially when you come from an entrepreneurial background. You have your your hands in many pieces of the business, and to to go with a CEO title, I don't think that tells anyone about what I do. And I think the Swiss Army knife comes a lot closer to what I actually do, because if I'll tell you what, Bob, if the if the trash needs to be taken out, and I'm the person that sees it, I, I would expect that that I would take care of that and handle it uh, with with precision and and excellence. So. That's a that, that's actually a great training platform, isn't it? I mean, I started working for 
a billionaire in Australia a long time ago. And uh, in Australia, they run businesses much leaner than they do here. And we had to do everything. If it, and I was involved in sports. So if there was a sign had to go up on the fence, despite the fact that I was the marketing manager for this worldwide sport, if there needed to be a sign on the wall, go and do it. If, you know, if somebody needed a drink out there, go and do it. And incidentally, while you're doing that, organise next week's games in England. <laughs> but it's a good, it is definitely a great training platform. One of the questions that I'd have that came from that is that um, looking at the failure of startups, a hell of a lot of startups fail because the CEO or the, the entrepreneur is not good at wearing 10 different hats. They try to because, you know, shortage of capital and a whole bunch of reasons, but um, they're not good at wearing a whole bunch of hats and, and that ultimately can lead to the downfall of the business. What do you yeah, think? I, I, I think so. I, I think I think there there is a there, there's a difference between um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't claim that that I'm someone who is an expert wearing those ten different hats that I will wear. But but what you need in a startup, and and what is so important and frankly I, I think critical for success is you have to have the ability to understand not only the strategy and your vision and your value proposition, but then how it implements and and how you do that through marketing, how you tie your technology roadmaps together with how you're building your audience and, and your community and how you're tying your your intellectual property development and your patent portfolio with these nearer term opportunities that, that are, are maybe one to two years away versus four to five years away. What, what you don't want to do, and I think the risk is with wearing a number of hats, is you can, you can rat hole into an area of the business that, that frankly doesn't need your attention right now. Yeah. Um, and so where, where, where we don't want to be reactive to, to everything that we're doing, we are a small company and, and our ability to react to things is a strength that we have, but we are absolutely following our strategic plan and we're executing against that. And, and frankly, we spend a ton of time thinking about what we're doing in the next three months, six months, 18 months and, and 24 months. And then what happens beyond that? I mean, we go to our strategy people, our intellectual property portfolio, things that we're working that are much more long-term in nature. But uh, in terms of the hats that I wear, that's definitely a back burner focus for me. You know, so many, I think so many um, entrepreneurs think that if you've got a killer app, people are just going to come and they don't. You know, all those other things that you were talking about are so critical, particularly a strategic business plan and a strategic marketing plan are so critical if you want to get out there because you can build the world's best app, but that doesn't mean any bastard's going to turn up. No, that's, you know, and and that is what's so difficult. I mean, I've heard so many stories of people that started an app uh, over the course of a weekend and then you know, woke up a week later with 20 million users and, and you hear about this stuff. And, and frankly, you got to start asking the questions because that is not a model that many people should bank on. That's definitely not a model as an investor you would want to uh, take for granted and think it's going to happen. But I think what, what we do with winning photos, which which is is very interesting and appealing to to me personally, is that. We are tapping into a very fundamentally human uh, possession, which is our perspective, the way that we view things. And everyone has that. We all have our own perspective on on everything. We're we're getting over a very uh, contentious political season really? in, the, in the United <laughs> States, if you've heard anything about it. And, and so we've seen lots of perspectives that are out there, lots of people sharing them. Imagery and photos in particular are the manifestation of perception. Right. And it's the thing that people do most with their cell phones. Forget about like messaging. It's, it's like an activity that people do on cell phones all over the world. It's something that we all have. And so what we've done is we're creating a an application that will be launching in January. Right. And and what's so important is to not only make it appealing from a technology standpoint, from a 
cool factor from a community standpoint, but to tap into some of these lower level things that we all share. And and I, I really believe that this perspective and, and how you view things and your ability to use your perspective for positive change in the world today is is one of those catalysts that we think will uh, become viral in its nature at, at some point in our development. Okay, you're launching, I believe, at CES, but just give us a little glimpse of how the app works and who the target audience is for this. Yeah, yeah, we, we really have, um, the, the app is is quite simple, and, and we lead with the fact that we have photo competitions that are available. We have daily competitions, weekly competitions, monthly competitions. Those are sponsored by brands that you've heard of. Right. Uh, some of the sponsorships come from companies that, that really just want to provide our users with some capital that they can donate to causes that they care about. Our target audience are millennials for the competitions. They're the ones who live on their cell phones. They're the ones who are taking so many of these wonderful uh, cell phone pictures. And there hasn't been a a true uh, community and a marketplace for not only sharing that art and, and competing, but also for using that art and being able to maybe take the next step in, in a budding photography career. And that's that's a market that we're, we're very focused on. Our other market is our community, and those are photo enthusiasts. And that's really where our, our deep partnership with Kodak comes into play. Um, I, I often tell people we're, we're a startup that's been 130 years in the making. <laughs> so the, our, our photography enthusiasts who are part of our community, they know who Kodak is. Uh, Kodak is a very well-respected brand around the world, and and we're able to use that as a very broad branding, let's just call it a branding moniker for our community to organize around and say, oh, yeah, you know, we can share this stuff. We can share our images. We can share best practices, mentorship opportunities, all sorts of great stuff in the community, and that's where the Kodak brand helps us. Okay. Um, so... Do you have like a daily competition or an hourly competition or a weekly or whatever it is between all these amateur photographers all over the world? Now, there's a what is there a billion photos being taken every minute or something? Oh, yeah, it's it's massive. How it's supposed to be like two trillion total like next year, which is just amazing. How do, amazing. You, how do you then say, Fred from Beijing, you're the winner? How do you do that? Well, we've been we've been fortunate in that uh, what what we are doing from a technology standpoint um, has been fairly well developed. Like what what you couldn't have done this even a few years ago. Right. And when what I mean specifically by that is we crowdsource our judging. We can. Uh, we, we can we can tap into judges from around the world who will look at photos and we've tested this and, and we can ask them to choose it could be what is the best photo in terms of composition lighting subject matter inspiration and we start getting into very photography centric judging criteria and what we do is we save that for later Bob <laughs> what we want to do is we want hundreds of thousands of people to enter a contest, those those photos that are submitted will be judged not only by the people who have submitted them, we will use our own users as part of that crowdsourcing, and we will use other users uh, in, in a different platform to judge them as well. And once we call them down to maybe, let's say, 100 photos or so, they'll go to professional photographers to judge, which allows us to do a couple of things. We make sure that we do have the best images, but until the professional judges look at them, we can have any criteria you want. We can say, which photo is is sexy? Which photo is cute? Which photo does the best? We can have any of those qualifiers that we want. And and I think that's that's what makes it much more appealing and less threatening, I think, for uh for people who want to take that next step of sharing a photo and perhaps entering it into a competition. It's it's also a great way to um, um, have the people that are taking the photos feel like they're part of the process and um, 
that that that'll encourage more involvement and yeah, we, and we want we idea. want them to be able to to progress at their own speed and do it in a very respectful environment that that frankly can be very anonymous at first, where you know we, we just I, I think that what most of us share we all have pictures and I'm not a professional photographer, um, but I have a few photos that I've taken over time that I, I wonder, gosh, is this good? This looks kind of good to me. What do other people think about it? And we have a platform where you can submit that and you will get back a scoring criteria that's yours to keep. It's, it, it analyzes your photo. It rates your photo. You can see how your photo did over time with the other photos. And you can take that and go, gosh, you know, maybe I can improve this area of my life and sharing my perspective uh, through images. And, and we're hoping that that process really gets some people excited who never thought that they would have this type of social influence with their imagery. Tell us about your partnership with Kodak. Um, how did that come about? Um, when when we, uh, I, I think that, that this is one of those areas where as, as a startup business, you have to look at the marketplace that you're competing in. We're competing in, in a worldwide market. And to do that as a startup, and, and with disruptive technology, which we have, is is a challenge in and of itself. When when you look at, gosh, you know, how are we going to at first really uh, have a have have some sort of an image and a brand behind us that that clearly states to people in this app universe, this deep tremendously broad sea of applications that are out yeah. there that tell people pretty clearly what you do. And, and so Kodak was, was really where, where we started and where we ended. Um, the, the team at, at Kodak, they are, they're, they're very interested now in this digital photography revolution and, and what's going on. Took them when we a while, at, didn't I? <laughs> oh my God. Well, it took them a while. So we've been around for a year. So we'll say 129 years. And then uh, with winning photos, uh, they're, they're definitely back at it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would, I would say that, that our target audiences in the millennials, they, they have a little bit of a, of a, a retro feel for Kodak with their Super 8 cameras that are out there. They're launching a really cool cell phone camera at, at CES this year. And, you know, it, people want to take good photos with their cell phones. Yeah. Um, Kodak is definitely supporting that. Kodak means photography to our photographer enthusiasts, part of our community. And the, the millennials who are out there think Kodak is interesting, but, you know, they really like the idea of, of sharing something that they already have uh, 5,000 of on their cell phones, right? They have, the average person has like 2,500 pictures on their cell phone. Unbelievable, Unbelievable. amount of uh, potential uh, sharing with that. Photography, for most people that are out there taking photos with their cell phones, it's um, it's not even a hobby. It's just some way to capture instant moments. But it is a hobby for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. People that um, have photography as a hobby, how can they monetize this hobby? Is, is there a way through um, through you to monetize it, to so it's it, it is absolutely on our roadmap and it will be central to our value proposition over time as part of the community of winning photos we do offer the ability to monetize your art on our on our website um, we're not your traditional image bank in that what we want to do is have you offer photographs which are purchased one time and then they're gone Right. So we, we allow we will allow our users, our, our photographers who have the membership in our community to set the price for their photographs yeah. and we'll have a, a rev share with them uh, in that regard. I think what's what's most important, I mean, it's, it's one thing to monetize your your art. And when you're dealing with artists it's a little different than dealing with the Wall Street crowd in my in my experience. <laughs> and that they don't they don't start with the money. They're not like I I when I came to this and I said, "Oh my gosh, you know, we will differentiate ourselves by by offering very attractive rev share with these images that you sell and and you can promote even other people's work in addition to ours and you'll have these wonderful financial incentives to to really monetize your hobby and perhaps even take it 
from an avocation to a, a very lucrative avocation. Yeah. And, and I can't I can't tell you, Bob, how absolutely wrong I was about the base. Now, we're going to do everything that I just said. And I thought that that would get people excited. And we're we're getting our feedback and why we're designing the community in the way that we are designing it is because what these photographers want. And I'm talking photographers who are making plenty of money in their art. Right. They're not interested in the money as much as they are a community of mentoring, of sharing ideas, of sharing best practices, of, of really giving back. And, and I was blown away by that. I was absolutely shocked. And this is not something that I think most people would have thought about when, when, they, were, when they were thinking about an app that, that, that could help you know, photographers earn, earn a living or, or, or a, an app that, that would not only take your avocation to, to something that pays for, for, your, for your tools and, and your, and your uh, photography equipment, but something that, that might even pay for, for your house and your bills and other stuff. Yeah. That, you know, it's, it's a different, it's, they're different types of individuals. We respect their art. We respect what their desires are. And they have an absolute impact on how we take the community. And we've given them, we've given them that platform to, to tell us what they want to see. So it's everything that, that they're expecting and everything they want that's not currently out there. Most um, most people in the arts want um, recognition and respect for, for their talent. Um, you know, coming from um, Wall Street, all you, all you guys want to do is buy another Ferrari. <laughs> and you don't care who likes you and who doesn't. But um, <laughs> I would imagine that photographers really do care about people liking them and respecting them and this is one way one way that they can do it yeah yeah you know i'm 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 giggling about about the the ferrari comment because i do think that there there is a, a bit of kind of this soulless hunger and appetite that goes on in that industry yeah. and i think that we're definitely we're, we're we're in an industry where it's the exact opposite but at, at the same time i think everyone wants recognition and, and they, they want it in their in their own way Bob I mean maybe the recognition that that some people want is is that they want to have they, they want to have the cool cars and, and the big house and the recognition that, that other people are looking for is that gosh you know they made a difference they they impacted humanity um, they, they were a catalyst for positive change in their community and and start small and and grow from there and everyone is different and everyone kind of seeks their own uh validation throughout life and and we're hoping to, to help a lot of people do that on our site hopefully more and more people want to become want to give back and want to be um good for the community rather than um it's collect, it's so yeah it's, it's so it's so important bob and i, I would say that um as uh, we've become experts in millennials and, and millennial audiences and you know, at, at Kodak Winning Photos, we, we have millennials working for us right. in technology and social in in the community. Sure. And and we had to do that because frankly they, they think differently than I do. I, I realize that 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 millennials has has a very defined demographic, but it's also a, a, a state of mind in, in the way that you perceive um, you know what what motivates you to succeed or, or what is success in your book. And it's very different from, yeah. from the way that, that I developed and, and the way I am today. And I've recognized that. And, and as a company, we, we employ millennials, we look for them. And, and where I think they are onto something is this very close attachment to community yeah. and using their social presence. Not, they, they value their social image and, and what they're, what they're doing. And, and these are good, wonderful things that they're volunteering and, and they share that out. Whereas a lot of folks in, in my demographic, which is the Gen Xers, we don't talk about our philanthropy at all. I mean, you can't, it's, it'd be hard to pry it out of us. Yeah. And, and this, this group is very, very upfront with it. And, and they challenge their friends and, and it's, it's an absolute Wonderful! It's one of the the coolest things about that demographic, in my opinion. They're forcing a change with so many 
corporations that are now giving back because it's cool to, well, not only because it's cool to give back, it's the right thing to do, but it's the only way to get support um, of millennials. You've got to be seen to be being good for your community, good for the environment. Those things are now becoming very, very important, and that's a that's a great sign. Um, you're based in Bellevue in Washington, so you're one of the cool West Coast crowd, <laughs> like like all of us. Um, and that area of um, the states is now becoming a real hub for startups. I come I come across a lot of people in in um, in Washington and that um, that are involved in startups. Why is that? Is it government incentives? Is it just that um, the cold and the wet attracts people? <laughs> what well, there, yeah, there's. I think I think you've got a lot of impacts with the cold and the in the weather that haven't been fully fleshed out yet. But uh, I, I will say, I, I think in my opinion, the biggest driver of the startup community in in the Pacific Northwest and the West Coast in general has been the the success of, of the the very large tech companies. Um, we're, we are we are fortunate in in Seattle to have very large brands, not only in the technology space and, and leaders in the technology space, but in consumer products. And, and we've got a very diverse set of of very successful, very powerful businesses. And what 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 has happened is to be a a huge company and a huge entity is you, you you can't act as a startup anymore and and what what that means is is whenever you're building an organization if your organization is 13 people like like it is with us and we have outside resources as well but 13 core individuals yeah. it's it's real easy to uh it's you've got nowhere to hide, and it's it's very easy to pursue the best opportunities that are out there, um, and from an investment perspective, from a business perspective, and when you're at a very large company, those large companies of thirty thousand, fifty thousand, sixty thousand people, they have their own. Uh, they have their own organizational uh, food that they need to survive, which yeah. means that, that, that they're inherently inefficient. It's not their fault. It's it's uh, it's by virtue of the corporate structure and the way that, that they're designed. They will miss these little opportunities because, frankly, it doesn't move the needle for them. Yeah. And they will also act to preserve their own business, which may or may not be in the best interests of their consumers. I don't fault them for this because it's given us tremendous opportunities to find talent yep. um, for the for the folks who who they have done well and now they're looking to to make it their own to put their own stamp on things and and so uh, it's a great part of the country uh, to be in the great part of uh, frankly of the whole northern hemisphere to be in the um, the whole tech space seems to be burgeoning I, I, I look at um, in Los Angeles. Um, We've always had a lot of um, startups and early stage companies down here, but now all of a sudden from Santa Monica down through um, Venice, it's just wall-to-wall startups, um, accelerators, etc. And it just seems to be really booming. Is that, um, is that happening right across the states or is that just mainly here on the West Coast? You know, there there are spots on the East Coast where it's happening. There, you know, frankly, there uh, Utah, uh, Salt Lake City has been yeah. a hotbed for venture capital investment, really, in the last couple of years, and that was surprising to me. And I've been there and and seen it, and it's it's the real deal. Yeah, Austin, Texas. Austin, what uh, you've got place. you've got a lot of spots. So I think I think what what's so what's so important, and I think what should make all entrepreneurs excited is we have the technology today where you can be almost anywhere and and craft create a business and, and hatch a successful business and frankly manage it in a in a distributed environment we have employees in Texas in California in Kentucky we utilize folks who are in Los Angeles and we have some developers in, in all parts of the world and we have developers in Austin Texas and in Seattle Washington and Maple Valley Washington good heavens I mean it's we're, we are we're fortunate in that uh, we have technologies that that allow people to 
produce a tremendous amount of, of valuable contributions and, and do that on their own terms. If I don't, I'd rather not have them sit in traffic, right? Yeah. I'd rather have them working and, and, uh, and, and being somewhere where they're comfortable and they're happy. Yeah, I'm sure they would too. Um, your background's pretty diverse from Wall Street to, to tech to now being yeah. CEO of Winning Fighters. What's the future of tech? Um, this um, – Acceleration. I, I was went to a presentation by Singularity University, who said that um, over the last fifteen years we've gone one percent of the technology revolution, and then the next fifteen years we're going to go the other ninety nine percent. Well, it seems to me the change has been so ferocious over the past ten fifteen years that I don't, I can't see how it can accelerate that much over the next fifteen. But I guess it will. So, where are we going to? Where? Where do we go? Where we go next year, and where do we go in ten years' time? Gosh, you know, I, I think um, I, I think in ten years' time is is where it starts to get, it starts to get very interesting. And, and for me, I think a lot of the the huge impacts and developments will come from the artificial intelligence, sure. uh, the investments that are being made today. Frankly, the data that that has been gathered and is currently being gathered analyzed and and used to train machines i think it's very exciting uh there are opportunities for our business in photography to use that as well and that's that's been a a source of a lot of our intellectual property development um Anytime you have a tremendous amount of data and people were talking about big data and it was that that term was coined about 10 years ago, which incidentally was where a prior startup where we had done intellectual property work in before was how to store data in the cloud. Right. And so we, we had the seminal patents for uh, cloud storage and, and uh, that, that was how we started off. Um, but I, I, I do think the artificial intelligence is big. I do think that millennials are going to take us to spots that we didn't really think about. I think there's going to be a surprise factor in there. And and for me, I get excited about that because it'll create new opportunities uh, through a demographic of incredibly talented, incredibly driven individuals who have this uh, passion for positive societal change. And yeah. I, I just think that that's fabulous. I, so I, I think I, I'd like to see a revolution, not, not only in what we're doing through the artificial intelligence, but a revolution in how we're connecting in our communities and, and the positive impacts that we can make uh, for, for everyone in, in this world. I, I think that that, to me, I hope that the 99%, a huge chunk of that is is devoted to solving those problems. And I think with the millennial demographic, we can be assured that it will be. Great. David, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about David Young and Kodak Photos by going, Kodak Winning Photos, by going to Twitter at Kodak Photos, F-O-T-O-S, or via LinkedIn, David Young. Thank you. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on the Voice America Business Network. The opportunities for small business and entrepreneurs are going to be fantastic, I reckon, in the next 12 months. The economy in the US is booming, particularly for small business and entrepreneurs. So you really do need to listen to the advice that you get on this program from our guests and uh and also listen to other programs like it. Because while I'm convinced it's going to be a fantastic 2018, I think there may be a big correction ahead in 2019. Artificial intelligence is um, making changing a hell of a lot of things in this world. One of the things that they are changing is surveillance. And this could be really important. Now, surveillance is useful only when someone's looking at it. You see the 
on television with her sit there and they watch hours and hours and hours of video feed. Well, that's the way it usually works. And most surveillance cameras are passive. They're there as a deterrent or to provide evidence if something goes wrong. That's very common on, on these shows. But that's changing very fast. Artificial intelligence is giving surveillance cameras digital brains to match their eyes letting them analyse live video with no humans necessary. This will help police and first responders more easily spot crimes and accidents and have a range of scientific and industrial applications. The only concern, I guess, is privacy. So what does happen when governments can track huge numbers of people using CCTV? When police can digitally tail you just by uploading your photo into a database? or when an algorithm is running in your local mall, pinging the cops every time it doesn't like the look of a group of teens, for example. There's a company called IC Realtime. It's an app and web platform named Ella that uses AI to analyse what's happening in video feeds and make it instantly searchable. A web demo showed a version of Ella hooked up to 40 cameras surveilling an industrial park. They searched for man wearing red, UPS vans, police cars, all of which brought up relevant footage in seconds. It was then narrowed further by time period and location. So you can work out who was there, when, why, and get a very close look at them. If there's a robbery and you don't know what really happened, but there was a Jeep Wrangler seen speeding east afterwards. You search for Jeep Wrangler, and there it is on screen. Clips begin to populate the feed showing different Jeep Wranglers that are going past. This is a combination of AI and CCTV, and without this technology, you'd have to sit through tens of hours of video. Now, Boulder AI is selling Vision as a service using its own standalone AI cameras that aren't requiring a connection to work and Boulder sells to a wide range of industries, tailoring machine vision systems it builds to individual clients. For example, a customer was monitoring the numbers of fish moving through a dam. So they used to have people sitting there ticking off how many trout went by. But Boulder identifies types and numbers of fish with 100% accuracy. Boulder's exploring advanced analysis and one program, one prototype system analyzes the behavior of people in a bank. The system spots aberrant behavior, uh, hones in on specific facial expressions and actions. In China's western Xinjiang region, traditional methods of surveillance and civil control are combined with facial recognition license plate scanners, iris scanners and ubiquitous CCTV to create a total surveillance state where every individual is tracked constantly in public spaces. In Moscow, a similar infrastructure is being assembled with facial recognition software plugged into a centralised system of more than 100,000 high-resolution cameras that follow the than everybody and they surround the city. So therefore, you can be followed 24 hours a day, everywhere you go, no matter where you go, and so can everyone else. Now, like any new technology, there's a danger that it could fall into the wrong hands and probably will. So the question, I guess, is do the pros outweigh the cons? And I'm not sure about that. You know, I hear people all the same time saying that um, arguing you don't care about the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide, well, that's a bit like saying you don't care about free speech because you've got nothing to say. Same sort of thing. So remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. It's better to aim for the stars and miss than it is to aim for the gutter and succeed. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know just how extraordinary you can be if you change the way you think.
So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll, when I'll again be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful. The alternative sucks. Go Patriots. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.